Hey, this Sunday, uh, we've been doing a series since the second Sunday of January called uh, G. All right, it's like my one, you know, we've been talking about becoming a church of, of big people. Remember the G has stood for like give, giving people, generous people, forgiving people. So it's not just been about money, it's been about this sense of how do I become the kind of people that I realize success is measured by what comes out of me as opposed to what I can accumulate around me. So we've been talking about that. This Sunday is the last Sunday of this series, G. Next week we start a new one, uh, I'm going to call it R. Not, not really, not really. But, but R has something to do with it, so maybe you can guess by next Sunday what has, has nothing to do with giving or generosity, but I, I'm kind of into the Sesame Street thing. G, R, you know, whatever. So, but R is something that has to do with next week. So anyway, back to G. I like the red R too, but anyway. Incidentally, if anybody wants to know how you get that kind of reflection on PowerPoint, I can show you. I just figured that out. Like, you could tell. I figured it out like two months ago, so now I'll put it on every slide. Um... Yeah, he gave me something new on PowerPoint. He's like, yeah, Matt's been messing with PowerPoint again. Uh, what we've been doing is uh, talking about, you know, big stories. Because what we say is we want to become a church of big people. We have no, we don't want to be a big church. We want to be a church of big people. Bigness of spirit. Bigness of capacity to hold the life of God inside of us. Another statement you've heard me say before, which one of my mentors said before, is um, focus on depth. Let God take care of the breadth. So we want to be a church of deep, big people. And generosity, forgiveness, giving away your life, giving away your money, giving away your time, giving your life to God, those are all parts of becoming those kind of people. So and when we first started this, uh, kind of formulated this idea for this series, I asked, there were three people in particular that kind of have backgrounds in working with generous people, so to speak. And kind of asking them for ideas and things to think about, things to talk about, who to interview, how do we go about encouraging people to see a bigger picture of what it means to be generous. And one of the guys in the group said, I have an idea. And so we're open to ideas. He said, I think I need to spend a Sunday um, interviewing you, talking to me. And I was like, well, a whole, like a whole, like 25 minutes? And he's like, yeah. And of course, I, I feel uncomfortable because, you know, it's not about me, but at the same time, I don't want, you know, he was kind of saying, I think, I think we need to ask you some hard questions about not just you, but about the church as an organization. You know, I, I, I speak a voice for me, Matt Nussbaum, and my family, but I also speak, to some degree, the leadership voice for Exodus Church and how we think about money and about generosity. And so one of the things I want to share real briefly, and then uh, Justin's going to come up here in a second. If we're going to be big people, big people, it doesn't just mean things you do. It, all, it starts with the character of who you are. And so and I, when I talked more, Justin, you'll meet Justin in a second. We've talked about this interview wanted me to do. He didn't give me any of the questions in advance. It was kind of, it's unscripted to some degree, but we've had conversations about it. What I realized was what he's really getting at to some degree is um, how do we trust those who are in leadership spiritually? And then the, for those of us, who, those of you who are leaders or will be leaders someday, how do you become trustworthy people? Now, please understand, I'm not saying I've reached the, uh, I haven't reached the point yet. I'm not like 100%. I'm not even, you know, I, I'm on the way, all right? So please understand, I'm not saying I'm a big person, all right? Um, I'm on the way, all right? But there's a passage in 1 Timothy that Paul uses when he's talking about leaders in the church, 
And it, there's no G word in this, so I couldn't make it fit, but it works anyway, all right? This is what he says. And Paul's talking to Timothy. Paul is one of the leaders of the, old, of, the new, of the New Testament church, you know, the first century church. And he's writing this letter to a guy named Timothy, who the best we can understand was an overseer, was a pastor in, some, in a local church, and also helping other churches start. So he was telling Timothy, this is the kind, this is what you look for in leadership. And again, it's not just about leadership. It's even about these are the kind of people we want to be. Because every one of us, to all kinds of different degrees, leads something. Even if it's just leading your own life and leading your, the responsibilities around you, you lead something. But one of the things Paul says this, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, so an elder must be a man whose life is, say those two words with me. Above reproach. One more time. Above reproach. All right, then he goes on to explain what he means by that. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely. He must have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? You know, among other things in there, one of the things is commented about he must not be a lover of money. And we've been talking about money and even generosity. And I thought, you know, it, it is an awkward, it's an awkward thing for me, even this interview, because, but to some degree, what I'm saying to you is it is your responsibility as people who are followers of Jesus to evaluate people, not judge people, but to evaluate through the biblical grid of above reproach. Above reproach simply means, this means perfection, it means when accusations are thrown at that person, nothing really sticks. You might say, well, you know, this person, he's got a bad temper. Well, but if, if overall the person is growing and that temper is being transformed by God, there's no accusation that sticks. There's no issue that you're like, man, he just can't get past that issue. So it's not, it's not perfection so much as it's, it's, an, it's a certain standard of character, not standards of behavior. Please hear me on that one. The Pharisees were perfect in behavior, but they were not above reproach in spirit. And that's what Jesus was, that's what Paul's getting at here. So Justin, where's Justin? Why don't you come up here, Justin? Justin wanted to interview me and ask me different questions about a lot of it related to money, generosity kind of things. We're sitting up here so you can see us, not because anything more important than that. And uh, Justin's a law student, so I said, please don't cross-examine me. You know, please, this is not a class project, right? You know? Um, so anyway, so this is, if you're new here on Exodus, this is your first time, this is not normal for us. We usually have a sermon where we teach straight out of a text and kind of unfold a story and try to... But in the same way, I guess I'll, leave, I'll start off with a challenge. Your job in whatever church or leadership spiritual world you're in is to, is to look at the filter of, of brother approach leaders, encourage them, help them become those kind of leaders, myself included. That includes the elder team of the church and other people in leadership at Exodus. But also, every one of you has the calling to be above reproach kind of people. That's a word that kind of embodies strength and integrity, wholeness. Because it's the kind of people God wants to use. All right? So again, please hear a last disclaimer. I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm saying I'm on the way. So, and maybe Justin will uncover some things. You're like, yeah, sure, sure, he hasn't arrived. Anyway. So, uh, Justin, why don't you tell real quick what brought you to Bloomington and... 
Sure. About yourself, so they don't think, who is this guy up here? Absolutely. I'm Justin Heimer. My wife is Sarah. We have three little kids. We moved to Bloomington to so I could go to law school. My wife stays at home with the kids, and we have been coming to Exodus since the beginning of last summer. We love it here. We're having a great time here, and we are excited about where we've gone with this series. Um, Some of Justin's background, too, he worked with, like, fundraising and a Christian Mm -hmm. organization, so a lot of experience dealing not just with wealthy people, but mm-hmm. generous people as a broader concept of, of character. Absolutely. Kind of a character issue, not so much dollars and cents issue. Absolutely. And, so. and you know, when we first started this, uh, the three of us that he mentioned came up here, and one thing I said that day was that I commended Matt and Dan for for teaching on on giving, on generosity, because Oftentimes that has a negative connotation with some people, and I once again I commend you for allowing me to ask whatever I want to ask you without any real limitations. So <laughs> this could be fun. Yeah. Um, so I do want to I, I, I want to start off by talking about um, the concept uh, of giving and the concept of this message and uh, the series that we've been a part of, and you've been very. Uh, clear that uh, that we can give to other organizations, things like that. You introduce several organizations, but let's talk about the church specifically. I, and my first question is, how's the church doing financially? Because when we give, we want to invest in places where we know that um, that the that it's going to be useful and it's going to be a good place to go. So, yeah, uh, we have, uh, and again, this is just as honest as I can be. And again, this is not going to be an infomercial. So this is not like a big information meeting. But uh, we hired Dan about a year ago with the, with a, a knowledge that we didn't have the actual dollars and cents coming every week that would cover both his salary and my salary. We're the only two full-time. We have three 10-hour-a-week employees. And we knew it would be kind of tight. But we had, uh, we had over $100,000 in the bank in a buffer account that we called the What's Next account. So... Um, so right now, actually in the last six weeks, we've hit kind of, we're nearing where we need to be on a weekly basis. We're up to close to over 90% of what we need on a weekly basis. The series was not about that whole thing of money, but it was, just to be honest about that, we've, it's really, really encouraging what God's been doing. And uh, from day one with Exodus, if you don't know, Exodus was a church plant we started with my wife and I and three kids. Uh, God's always been faithful. Uh, every time, even with anxieties about money, God's always come through. So in that sense, we're in a really good place needing to get to a really better place, if that makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that, um, that I've seen since we've been here are times where uh, you've told about stories of us giving to a pastor in need, to another church in need. How does that fit into a scenario where we aren't, aren't bringing in Like should enough. we give away money that we don't have? Yeah, that's oh, the question. Oh, we have it. We do have it. So, no, one of the things in our budget we have is a whole line called, a uh, whole section called blessed to be a blessing because Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to others. We have, I think it's $5,000 a year marked just to give away to other churches in Bloomington or other pastors, um, people in ministry and things like that. So we had, we have money set aside for that purpose. And so if you were around in December, we gave over $1,000 in two different cases to two different pastors, one who had lost his job in town and one who had to be, had to be cut back on his salary significantly because the church was hurting financially. 
So we weren't giving money away we didn't have. We give money away that we had, and we intended to give away that way. So, so when we give money away to the churches, that's part of our whole financial kind of mindset. And when I say that, I mean the, kind of the church bank account. Because we believe that we're supposed to be encouraging other churches. It's not, about, it's not about the Exodus bank account being successful. That's not at all. I don't think God cares about that. It, he cares about the kingdom of God expanding in Bloomington. And personally, I hope some of these giveaway categories, our hope is that's the next thing that will increase. Once we kind of start hitting our regular, our regular rhythm, we hope to increase even how much we give away to uh, local churches, local ministries, and cross-cultural, cross-cultural ministries. The, the largest line item in the budget is salaries. There's not a great way to get into asking about this, but... How much do you make? Do you make too much? Does it, does it fit with the mission of the church? You know, and that's awkward moment, all right? Okay, <laughs> awkward moment, all right? Um, I like Matt. We're yeah, friends. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, one of the things, this is kind of some mentors of mine really kind of helped me think through is we don't necessarily publish staff salaries. Um, there are people that know the salaries, and there are discussions um, pretty direct discussions about money. My salary is, a, if, if I would just be a high school teacher, I started three years of a high school math teacher. Um, I get paid now, relatively speaking, what I'd get paid if I was a teacher in the Bloomington school systems with my education and experience or maybe a lower, lower level administrator. So somewhere in that range. So if I was a high school teacher, and some of you probably wouldn't want me as a math teacher because you hated math anyway, but uh, that's, about, that's about where my, and even Dan's salaries fall. Um, the part-time salaries are more in terms of just competitive local wages. But that's, that's where my salary falls. So the passage you just read talked about um, an elder shouldn't be a lover of money and stuff. Should not be, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell, tell me, talk about your family. Talk about your um, your financial situation, your giving situation. Help us understand that. We've interviewed a lot of people the last few weeks up here who've That's shared a little turn, bit. Right? Of, yeah, you're up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting because the whole the passage says that elders should not be an overseer, should not be a lover of money. One of the ways I measure that in my own life is the degree of anxiety I have when the money is tight. And I'll be honest, I have, ang- I, I just, I, I'm not happy with my anxiety about money at times. Um, my dad was that way. Uh, I'm, I'm growing in that. I'm on the way in that. So I think sometimes, and maybe some of you can relate, all of you can probably relate to this. There's times where you just, there's just not enough, not enough, or there is, or there's not. And then uh, my wife was talking to a friend of hers in ministry this week that was just saying, you know, what do you do when this breaks down, that breaks down, this breaks down, that breaks down, all in a 48-hour period. And again, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I feel like I'm generously compensated. So it's not about the compensation so much as my own growth in that area. And, uh, but I feel like God's been good in a lot of ways in that. So in terms, of, in terms of giving, one of the things my wife and I decided when we first moved back to Bloomington was, you know, we tithe. You know, we give 10%. And, and it, it always felt a little odd to me. Okay, I'm tithing money to Exodus, but I have a great deal of authority about how that money's spent. So it almost felt a little disingenuous of me. I mean, it's not. But, so we give, we take a third of our tithe that we would have given Exodus. Third, every month we send a third of that to a different church in Bloomington. 
Because I wanted to realize, I, we wanted to know, okay, we know what it's like to give money away to an organization that we don't have 100% agreement with about how they might spend the money. I mean, I'm not sending it to the Mormon church. I don't send it to, you know, but we send it to Christ-centered churches in town. And every time I put one in the envelope and mail it away, it's kind of like, yeah, I wish they did this differently and that differently. But you know what? I'm going to trust my money with their leadership. So that, that's been good for me because then I think I'm a little more sensitive about the fact that people have entrusted to some degree me but also the elders with, with the money that God's asked you to give. So I'm a little more, I hope, a little more sensitive and aware about just what's involved with that kind of sacrifice of giving money away that you have no control over, uh, ultimately. So. Can you tell us about a lesson God has taught you about money or something he's... <laughs> this is one of those moments where I didn't tell him any of these questions, yeah. so... Well, it's in, I was just, just this week, it's interesting, just this week I was reading in my journal about, uh, it was about a year and a half ago, I was writing, okay, this is the first time, and I, I, I don't write every day in my journal, so please don't think I'm in my cave every day writing for five hours, but I was writing in my journal and I said, okay, God, this is the first time in years that we will not be able to pay off the balance of our credit card this month. And, you know, you kind of feel, at least me, I feel like a failure if we can't get it paid off. And this was like a few days before it was due. Well, then in the margin of that journal, I wrote in there, $500 gift from XYZ family member arrived two days later. And it's like, oh, you know, God, you, you do take care of me, don't you? And I had forgotten about that until I read it this week. And, I, and it's not, I mean, Jess and I were talking about this earlier, about our own stories. It's not like, okay, you give, put the coin, coins in the pot machine, you pull the lever and God will give it back to you. But it seems as if all of our stories have times where it's like you make kind of a hard decision about giving or you're hitting a hard point of giving. And then God, you know, you get in, you get in the flow of God's rhythm of how he, he knows life should be led. And then things begin to happen in blessing kind of ways. Not instantaneously, not right away, not even always dollar for dollar. Sometimes more, sometimes less. But God doesn't forget you. In those situations. So that's kind of been my lesson lately is that, you know, you, 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 even like I did my taxes this last week. And so I know how much money we gave away this last year. I look at that number and I, for a fraction of a second, I think, wow, what, what could we have done with that money? But then it's like, you know what, but this is not our money. And, you know, so it's, it's always good to kind of see the dollars and cents and, uh, but seeing how God pulls through. I always tell people, if I would have been one of the children of Israel when they had to collect manna every morning, I just remember the stories. They were supposed to collect manna, but only what they needed for that day, right? And if they collected any more, what happened to it? It went rotten. I would have been one of those guys who would have been like, hey, Justin, I'm going to get a little bit extra today because I don't know if it's going to show up tomorrow. And I'm going to freeze dry it and see if we can get it. Because I want to make sure I have a little buffer because I don't know if God's going to do it tomorrow. And I... And for, for years, I kept, I've, I've said, God, I just want a buffer. I just want a buffer. I just want a financial buffer. And I felt like God was saying, you'll have enough, you'll have enough, you'll have enough, you'll have enough. So um, some of you may be with me on the manna story because you would have been with me. You would have been on the other side of the camp doing the same thing, and you would have had a different technique to make it last, and it wouldn't have worked either. So anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <Jess. laughs> Let's talk about the church having full-time staff. Um, other churches don't. Some do, some don't. You know, some smaller churches don't. You mentioned that you spend some time journaling. Where do you office? What do you do during the week? Yeah, I'll, and I'll speak for me, but I think from 
knowing Dan well enough, some of his life patterns, work patterns, work the same way. Um, and let me just give a little background of this first, because one of the things in the Old Testament was that some of the, tith- the tithes were meant so the Levites, who were the priests, could devote themselves to the work of the temple, all right? And even Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, God was mad when the Levites were out in the fields working in farm work, not because they couldn't work, because, but God was like they should be d- attending to the work of the temple. Now, attending to the work of temple didn't just simply mean they were going around shining all the gold stuff all week long and lighting candles, blowing out lighting candles. I mean, that, it wasn't just the religious activities. It was, uh, I'm guessing, their work was similar to my work and Dan's work. Was, it's, it's, it's kind of spiritual conversations with people. Um, if, if you haven't seen Dan and I either at Starbucks or Panera Bread or Poorhouse Cafe, you, you just haven't been there because we're there all the time. <laughs> you know, one of those places, we both kind of work out of our homes, but we're out, we're among people. But a lot of our time is spiritual conversations with people. Uh, a lot of our time is other leadership conversations, trying to make sure we're on the same page, understanding what God wants with what we're doing. Um, you know, plan- yes, planning for Sunday morning, but that's a fraction of what we do. I mean, I spend a lot, I spend more of my time than Dan would spend on, on preparing to teach and reading and thinking and praying about stuff like that because um, that's what I do every week. But that's, that's a lot of conversations, though. A lot of conversations, a lot of time um, trying to figure out what God's leading us to do. Is that? Yeah. Why is it worth it? Why is it worth it for the church to invest in two full-time pastors? Um, going and having these conversations one of the um, one of the phrases I've used before when we were considering actually hiring for Dan's position and we, Dan, we didn't even know who Dan was for it when we carried the position was it's really important and I think, I think this is what God was thinking about the Levites in the Old Testament it's really important that there are some people who can devote what I call their primary leadership energy to the spiritual life of the community. Um, you'll be a lawyer someday. You'll probably be involved in a church as an elder or some kind of leader, but you aren't able to give your primary leadership energy to the ministry of the church or the ministry of the body at the life by. And, and it's okay that you don't. Your primary energy will be toward your law practice or whatever you're working on. That. And you will have energy and leadership to offer to the church and conversation time to offer the church, but you have another life. And that's because that's what God would have called you to do. And same thing with, you know, the elder team. There's elder team members, you know, Jeremy Padani, Brian Arnold. Um, they have other jobs. They have lives that they should be spending time on. But there's something I think, well, I, there is something really good for Dan and I to be freed up to um, spend our focused primary energy on the burden of the spiritual leadership of the community. So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a responsibility we feel in a heavy way, but it's also a calling we sense. For, and it, it doesn't make our jobs better or worse than yours or Jeremy or Brian's or anybody else here. But it's more of, I think it's really good to give primary energy to that because we think about it all the time. And I'm not saying other leaders here don't, but they don't think about it to the degree that we do. And, um, and again, that, that's not an elite statement. I'm just saying that's just... It's more of a burden to think about all the time. I love what I do, but it's... So there's something, I think, to that uh, full-time energy, full-time thinking, full-time praying, listening to God on behalf of, uh, of the church. 
What has happened because of that? Why, how is our church in a better place? How is, how are people in our community in a better place? Because you've been freed up to go out and not freed up. Your job is going out to do these things. Uh, I, I'd like to think, and I do think that the conversations I have or that Dan has with people have a spiritual byproduct that may not have happened to that degree or to that magnitude if I didn't have that freedom. I mean, I, even this week or in the last couple of weeks, I, a couple of conversations I remember, one was with somebody who's here this morning, and I won't say who it was, but I was talking about a degree of, a degree of, uh, of stress in their lives and trying to figure out. And, and what I love to ask people is, what do you think God's teaching in the midst of that? And I, and not, I don't get like the pastor clothes on and ask that question. That's just, I like to ask that question. And I think for other people, because it's good for me to, for somebody to even ask that question, for asking me and inviting me to go there, them to go there, you can tell it kind of helps people frame things and really start to think, what is God saying in the midst of this? And that particular conversation for me was one of the most energizing conversations of the two weeks. Because not only because I like this person I was getting together with, but I thought, I love, I love, I love when I see people move toward growth, when I see openness of what God's doing in their life. Another conversation this week was a guy who was telling me how he realized he could really be a jerk toward people. You know, and it's like, and you might think, well, that sounds like a bummer. You know, that, you know it's like being a psychiatrist dealing with nut jobs all day or whatever. I'm not, but it, it wasn't. I actually told this person, it was probably one of the highlight conversations of my week along with the other one because I love people realizing kind of the light bulbs go on. And I don't, turn the light bulbs on. I just feel like God's given me kind of a wiring and way to think about and ask questions so people kind of, but I love, I love those moments when I feel like people, because of conversation, I mean, you think about it, life change doesn't happen because somebody stands up and preaches and you sing every Sunday. Most of us could talk, but if you talked about the spiritual life change in your life, it was because of conversations you've had. Um, I was just reading an article today about a guy who was talking, this morning actually, it was a devotional book about he was, he was, every once in a while he likes to categorize the top 10 conversations of his life. You know, and my guess is for a lot of you, those top 10 conversations would have spiritual imp. They had something clicked. I mean, yeah, you may have had a conversation with your husband or wife when you're dating, but take those out of the picture for now. But there was probably a conversation with somebody who had time and focused energy. Maybe it was random, maybe it was planned, maybe it was spontaneous, but something happened in that conversation where God was given a foot in the door. And so that's why I think that the fact that Dan and I are freed up to a larger degree to engage in those kind of conversations, I think is really worthwhile for others because I know it was worthwhile for me when, when people who were full-time in that sense poured their life into me. So it's, that's, that's what I love seeing happen. Pulling it back just to specifically this series... How is it, how is it hard for you personally? How is it hard for you and Kathy as you make decisions when it comes to giving, when it comes to where you allocate your resources? I mean, where do we struggle? Yeah. Like in giving or in marriage in general? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you, uh, you know, we, you know, it's, it's one of, it's, it's like anything else. Um, some of you may know Paul Gutierrez. I don't know if Paul's here today, but one of the stories I love that Paul tells is he was part of this national gathering of spiritual leaders of a certain organization. And they all had to go around and share their big life lesson that they've learned that year spiritually. And so people were saying all these real theologically sounding kind of truth statements. And then it came to one guy's turn. 
And the guy said, what have I learned in the last year about spiritual leadership? And he said, when it comes to money, things get funny. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that's true, you know. And that, that's not just true in the organizational level of church. It's true in our marriages. When it comes to money, things can get kind of tense because we all have different understandings of money. We all have different understandings of how God wants us to use the money. And um, so in, in our case, I mean, we've had our, we've, we've, we've bumped heads on a number of different money things. Uh, you know, interesting, a lot of the statistics on the divorce Money is one of the top reasons for divorce, the mishandling of money. So it's really, really important to try to get on the same page. And often you can only get on the same page when you have some of those hard conversations. That's true in the church leadership circles. That's true in all of our marriages. You get on that same page when you can kind of say, I don't think we should do that. I don't think we should spend that money. I don't think we should do it on this or not this and why not this and where did it all go? I mean, you hear last week Dan was saying, you know, where did it all go? Where did it all go? So I think it's just the conversation of being on the same page. I mean, the whole idea of unity. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we were, long story short, we had a van that got totaled. And we were trying to figure it out about another one. And it was kind of timely. And I just remember saying to Kathy, okay, do you feel peace about this decision? She said, well, I do. And I said, well, I do too. But let's just make sure we're feeling peace like that God's in this. And if one of us is feeling a little bit, eh, then we t- tend to hold back until we kind of execute the decision or whatever. But I think we've learned to kind of find that place of unified peace. Doesn't mean it's exactly how either one of us would have done it individually, but we realize that's probably the best thing right here. So that's tend to, we try to find, I mean, I, I do the checkbook, I do the quick and all that stuff, but we're, we're on enough on the same page and we're able, I'm looking at her to make sure she's okay with this. <laughs> we're able to have hard conversations about money and we have had hard conversations about money. And we end up usually in a better place, but getting there is not easy. So, all right, here's my last question. What do you want to see change in individuals' lives or in the congregation as a whole from this particular series? I think, uh, I I won't grab one, but over there, there's these archery targets you know, with a bullseye thing on it. If nothing else, if we can redefine for one another what the bullseye looks like in terms of this life of following Jesus, because the I'm, I'm learning this too, so I'm, I'm on the same lap as a lot of you on this learning curve. Because if we define, the way everybody around us, and even sometimes in the church world, the way people want to define success is by what I call the accumulation model. You know, how much can I get? Better cars, better houses, whatever, better clothes, nicer haircuts or whatever. And in the church world, people use the kind of acronym, sometimes mockingly, the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. So often when people ask me as a pastor, how's your church going? Really what they're looking for to some degree, they want an ABC answer. More attendance, more cash, bigger buildings. But it seems to me like that's that's not at all what God values. When you look at the Bible, he doesn't value people that are wealthy now, there are people who are wealthy who are really good stewards of their money. Abraham and Job come to mind. But it seems like God values those who respond to him, and it seems like those who respond to him are often really, really good at giving and not getting. So whether it's giving away things, money, your life. I mean, some of you haven't even given away your life to Jesus. But then giving away forgiveness, that's really hard. 
That's hard. It's harder to give away forgiveness than it is money. I think everybody would agree with that, yeah? I'd much rather give somebody money than to forgive them. I don't want to give them money if, I, if they hurt me, though. So. But you know what I'm saying? So how do, we, how do we make sure we define success? I mean, if I, if I were to take one of those archery targets, I'd love to put a green G right in the middle. The target is we want to become generous people. And it's not about the bank account of Exodus. It's about, it's about having the largeness of hearts that come only when you let go of stuff. Because God can only fill what you let go of. And as long as you clutch your, your soul and keep it tight because you're holding on to stuff, um, God will never allow your capacity to grow bigger. Because you, don't, you won't let it. It's not that guys don't want to. You won't let it. And so I think that's the big lesson. And that's, that's one of the things that I hope is really central not just in the wording of Exodus Church, but in our realities as individual people, is that we will define our success in life by our capacity to give away uh, not just stuff, but time, energy, forgiveness. And we'll stop playing the silly game of trying to keep a scorecard as to whether or not God's blessing us enough because God's blessing will show, be shown in how, um, how quickly and how ably our I'm doing this like our hearts can expand. Because the more our hearts expand, the more of the spirit you hold. The more you hold, the more pours out. So that's probably the number one thing. And that's the, that's the learning curve that I'm on individually. I'm on with my wife as a family unit with money. That's the learning curve we're on with the elder team and others in leadership of how do we become those kind of people. So I don't know if that's what you were asking, but that's, I can get passionate about that because that's what I... I we came back to Bloomington to start Exodus. I really felt like God was really wanting to... Th- and I'm not saying we're better than other churches. We're not. We have, every church has their own goofiness. Every church has really good things. But I knew one thing that God really wanted us to focus on was redefine success. Redefine success. Really rest with what does the Bible... What does God seem to define as successful people or successful churches? And it usually had little to do with bank accounts or attendance figures. It had a lot to do with their spirits of generosity and capacity toward giving and forgiving and living lives above reproach, living lives of integrity. So, thank you. You're going to stop with that? He had asked, Justin had asked me if we wanted to. Justin had asked me if we wanted to take questions from the audience, and I said, probably not now. Maybe if we could figure out the, some high tech way to text questions to somebody. But that would be a little bit, I could, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. So there are people here who would, though. Uh, one of the things I want to I close with, and uh, thanks, and, and again, I, I do want you to know, um, and I think I told Justin this, and I think I said this in general, all of us, there's no question that's not a good question to some degree, and there's no question that's off limits. Yes, it may be hard for me or other leaders when you ask a hard question. Yes, it may be kind of respond in defensiveness or like, what do you think? You know, that's how I tend to do some. But if it's, if it's asked from a good-hearted way, but it's an honest question, it's a welcome question. Because you have a responsibility to be aware of whether or not individual leaders or the church as a whole is above reproach. So don't ever delegate that responsibility to somebody else. And, and then those of you who will be leaders in churches, which may be a lot of you someday, um, that's the standard, above reproach. Being open and above reproach, there's nothing that's going to uh, stick in the way of you becoming what God wants you to become as a leader in this church someday.
finish with this phrase before we go on to communion. Um, and this relates to what we're talking about. But this is from the same, same letter, Paul's letter to Timothy, where he's talking about leadership and being above reproach. And he says, there is, there's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus came to purchase freedom so I could be free and you could be free to become above reproach, full of life, full of strength, full of generosity, full of forgiveness, full of self-control, full of kindness kind of people. That's what Jesus came to do. You cannot become that kind of person to the large degree that God wants you to apart from the work of Jesus. You can't. I don't care how willpowered you are. I don't care how many good habits you try to develop. Unless you acknowledge, apart from the life of Jesus, I can't become that kind of person. Because I've got my own flaws and goofiness, and the theological term is sin. But the bottom line is, that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to... uh, He came to set us free. So... um, Those of you here this morning that feel like you'd score low on the above reproach scale, do not lose hope. It's the very thing we sang earlier. God doesn't hold you in contempt because of that. He's waiting for you to come home so the power of his love can transform your life. So what we do at Exodus every Sunday, we take communion. um, And we do this again as a reminder of that if Jesus isn't in us, then we are hopeless in that sense. Because Jesus came and uh, he broke, the night before he was betrayed, he gave bread. He said, this is my body broken for you, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup representing my blood of the covenant that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this and remember me. All right, do this and remember me. And he wasn't just saying, remember that I died and I was tortured. He was saying, remember what I came to do for you. Remember that I have power and strength and love and forgiveness for you that will be crucial and essential to changing you to be the kind of person you want to be, a large, large, large-hearted person with the Spirit of God inside of you. So as you take, um, like we always say, perfection is not the standard to take communion at Exodus. The standard is, are you open to Jesus having control of your life? Are you open does your mouth represent what your heart is saying I am open to Jesus being in me alright so that's why we say anybody who's open and is a follower of Jesus in that sense not resisting God in any way if there's an area that you're clearly resisting God and you know it then for your own well being don't get up we're not going to mark you out or nobody's going to check on you but if, you're abs- if you know you're resistant in an area then don't but if as far as you know, you are open to the Spirit of God doing whatever you want, He wants in your life, then you're welcome to come again. So uh, what we do is we just don't dismiss my rose. We just start singing and you just come on up. So that way we're not, we don't know who's up or down. If you choose not to partake, nobody's going to know. You don't, you don't stand out. But anybody's welcome. There'll be people at either one of the three aisles. Someone will actually offer you the bread and you just tear off a piece and they offer you the cup. And then uh, just dip it in the cup. We don't drink out of the cup just for the sake of how we do things here. Most people eat it right here. Some people take it back to their seats. It's up to you. Um, And then in the side room over there under the backboard, there's a room that says prayer on top. That's for anybody who wants to go back for prayer for anything. Maybe something today triggers. Maybe you're like, you know what? I feel like there's some areas in my life where not above reproach and I, I just don't know what to do.
So anybody can go back there for prayer for anything. Some people go back there for f- prayer for physical healing, uh, forgiveness issues, whatever. So Jesus, we're grateful uh, that you gave yourself to set us free so we could be the kind of above reproach, full of life, full of joy people that you've designed us to be. And uh, we're grateful, Jesus, that you gave, that you gave to set us free. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.